Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each week's manga chapter and a reread of past chapters. Now, it might be episode 19 overall, but it's only episode 2 of Inherited Will at Night, where we do those same things, except later in the evening. My name is Thomas. And I'm Sleepy Jordan. (laughs) Now, a quick announcement in regards to the news segment. You may have noticed that I didn't list it just now. We've made the decision to cut it from the regular show. Instead, we'll be putting news out through our Twitter page. If there's... Big news to discuss, such as the SBS, VivaCard info, that kind of thing. We still plan to discuss those things on the show, but more minor things will be relegated to the Twitter page. You can find us at inherited underscore will on Twitter. With that out of the way, we'll be jumping into chapter 1016, and then later finishing the Alabasta arc with chapters 202 through 217. Here we go. <laughs> Zoro's doing a fun kick move to avoid spheres. <laughs> I guess having his feet way up in the sky makes it more likely to dodge the spears. He's definitely concentrated, though. I don't know what the hand signals are for, but they're they're helping, I'm sure. <laughs> no doubt. Not sure what he and this cat were teaming up to like accomplish by hiding in the ceiling here, but I'm sure it was a top-secret mission that only the two of them could uh, get done proud of them for getting caught i guess (laughs) um yeah that takes us into the chapter proper chapter 1016 it's me otama before we talk about otama we gotta talk about otoko there she is walking around they really pulled the old switcheroo on us here indeed got us good she and Tendru man whose name i do not recall but i'm going to assume it's just Tendru man until proven wrong <laughs> they're wandering around the fire festival learning about the reason behind the great big bonfire that they got apparently that is to uh reach the people who have passed so that they can see it from heaven otoko wonders if uh, her father yasue can see it from way up there i bet he probably can he would most certainly be watching this festival if i were him i would have my eyes more peeled off or uh towards onigashima but uh you know gotta check in on toko from time to time i'm sure make sure that she's all right with strange long-nosed tenu guy who may or may not be odin's father depending on who you believe (laughs) oh is that one of the going theories it's just based on them having the same voice actor in the anime and also they have big lips so that's all the the theory has to go on (laughs) Perfect. Indeed. Then we pop on back to Onigashima itself. We see it in those two fun panels as we zoom in on it. Uh, do we think that we checked in with Toko and Tendru guy here because they're going to play some sort of role in the story? Or just to remind us that all these people are going to die if Kaido gets his way? That's kind of what I was thinking. I was picturing it as like, hey, remember that Onigashima is like going over the land and also everyone is gathered right here. Indeed. I'm pretty sure Kaido said this is specifically where he plans to land it at the capital. So everybody's party in here. I think like the majority of the populace gathers in the flower capital 
during the fire festival so pretty much the entire country will die if this goes down yeah i don't i i guess kaido doesn't care i don't see how he benefits from that you know he benefits from his castle being where he wants it to be but yeah (laughs) that's about it (laughs) i mean it clearly wasn't his original plan well i say clearly but i i guess i don't know that for sure it doesn't seem like it was his original plan to move onigashima to the capital right now right that seems like his timetable was kind of accelerated due to luffy and them showing up so maybe he was planning on putting it down like tomorrow when marginally fewer people (laughs) are going to die i don't know but i'm sure he's got a good reason for doing what he does this is kaido we're talking about here (laughs) a known planner yeah master of strategy (laughs) indeed let's check in with our boys cp0 right quick they're here to just kind of give us a reminder using this go board about what the numbers are looking like on both sides Apparently, 5,000 dudes have retired from the battle. So before you take into account the people that have rebelled against Queen, the difference was 24,000 Kaido, 3,000 Luffy and Co. But apparently, all of the pleasures and waiters, so that's not including the smile boys that are going to be converted relatively soon, 4,000 of them, converted to uh team luffy after that fun speech queen gave a few chapters ago yeah. so the new numbers are twenty thousand versus seven thousand so uh queen goofed real hardcore he did also i hope nothing comes down to a majority vote because they do outnumber us now like within our own party oh that's a good point <laughs> There are more converted Kaido guys on our own team than there are original people. Original team Luffy guys. Hmm. Yep, yep. Well, it certainly doesn't look like Luffy's running a democracy here. So, uh... <laughs> I'd like to see anyone try to tell Luffy that he couldn't do what he wanted right now. As far as the general like populace of his team is concerned, uh, he's dead at the moment, but, uh, you know. The ones that matter are main guys. I'm sure their votes count for, like, more or something. I don't know. But they're just kind of here to remind us, hey, this is what the numbers are looking like. That's all pretty cool. Back on the main floor, it looks like. Squirrel, smile user, chick, who also has, like, a communicator in her face or something. Bao Huang has learned that Momonosuke has gone down, and she's going to go deliver this news. Not great for morale, if that goes through as planned. No, not great at all. Uh, Bao Huang has way more personality than I thought they had. They are very into the idea of breaking the spirits of the enemy here, and uh, it it was unexpected, in my uh, opinion. Indeed. Really hyped up about making our guys feel bad. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be happier. Uh, and they've also got a little buddy here who looks more like just a, a walking horse than a smile user, but that's what we got. Maybe he's one of the lucky ones? I don't know. I guess so. Or maybe, like, the human head is on the other side. <laughs> it's like a Voldemort situation where they got 
two phases growing out of either side of the head. That's my current headcanon. <laughs> Maybe it's a reverse centaur? I think it's literally Voldemort coming out of the Oh, no! <laughs> all of Voldemort, though. Not just his head. Yeah. All of him. Indeed. But it's not as bad as you think, because Voldemort doesn't have a nose. So it's not a full human body, just, you know, 99% of one. <laughs> uh, but then we pop back to Team Nami and Usopp on that same floor, heading towards the live floor. Uh, trying to figure out what the heck is going on with this talking climate attack situation. Usopp thinks that he's a super duper genius now. Well, that's because he always has been. <laughs> Quite. So it seems that what and I think one of us mentioned that this was what we thought happened when Zeus got eaten a couple chapters ago. But according to Zeus in the Baton, after Mama ripped out his soul and it was slipping out of his body. As Hera was about to munch down on it, that was when the climate baton ended up in Hera's mouth, and instead of getting munched, it just kind of zooped into the climate act, and indeed turned it into a homie that is now, you know, Neo-Zeus, pretty much. Uh, so that's fun. Nami's not all that hyped up about it, but uh, sure does give her an edge in battle later on. It sure does it's interesting to me that zeus has maintained free will and is a weapon like i i get it he is a homie but still like i thought the whole point of the homies was that mama was in control of them now i'm just confused what's going to happen if mama sees this like can she just stop him I don't understand this power still. <laughs> We've seen before that homies seem to have a certain amount of agency. Zeus has kind of had a custody battle going on between uh, Nami and Big Mom for some time. But the way he like speaks during this chapter makes it sound like him being in the climate baton somehow like settles that dispute, right? But I don't really see how it's any different from him being in cloud form, I would imagine that if Bid Mom showed up, she would have the same influence over him as she did before. But maybe it's like a matter of loyalty now, in a sense Bid Mom just kind of threw him away. He's got more free will since she doesn't want him now anyway. I don't know. <laughs> Best guess as of now. He says he can't get out without Mama's power, so he does know she could do it. So they're just going to have to stay away, I think. Guess so. Big news for you, though. He kept his hat. That's probably the uh, most <laughs> important thing from this chapter. It's not on him when he's in the pure climatact form, which is sad, but understandable. But when he moves his face to the end, then it's there. <laughs> so does the crew have, like, you know, nine and a half members now? Uh, I guess so. I mean... I think Nami described Zeus as a servant when uh, she was showing him off in between whole cake and now. So if you count servants as half a crew member, then I guess. But here we are, I suppose. Yeah, it sounds like you don't. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, did did Carew count as a crew member back when uh, Vivi was basically uh, a crew member? Well, does that count? 
Well, yes, I would say crew was a crew member. Uh, crew got the X on their wing, so yes. Um, That's true. But I, I guess I am operating under the assumption that this Zeus climate-attack thing is going to stick around for a while. Because um, mm. Nami needs this buff to stay relevant, right? Like, if she gets it for a little bit and then loses it, it's going to it's gonna suck. Uh, agreed, since this would be like the second or third time that that has happened. Yeah. <laughs> this Zeus operation has been real fickle the last like 50 or so chapters. Yeah, just let let it sit. It'll be fine. Indeed. Uh, unlike Usopp, who gets just, you know, destroyed <laughs> with a nice headbutt to the head. Oh, yeah. Poor Usopp. He's just really getting bumped real hardcore in the past, uh, always, for some reason. <laughs> Poor guy. Tama tries to warn him, but uh, far too late. <laughs> Already having his face slammed into the ground from behind. Also, I just noticed that there is another view of our horseman from further away. Not that we can learn anything from it, but it makes me <laughs> want it all the more. Yeah, we get the nice uh, distance profile shot, so <laughs> that's helpful, I suppose. Kind of debunks my entire human body growing out of the other side of his head theory, <laughs> but there still could be a Voldemort face coming out of the back of there. And we may never know. <laughs> Quite. Turns out that the person who has slammed Usopp face first into the ground, R.I.P. him, is Ulti. Ulti has gotten back up after taking that laser blast from Big Mom a couple chapters ago. She's got a, a bone to pick with Tama. You can even see that there's... I, I don't see a wound. That just looks like skin to me. Uh, agreed. Uh, don't know. Right? <laughs> she, was, she was skewered, wasn't she? By lightning. Like, it should burn her, but it looks like it just nipped her clothes. Now, her, like, midsection does kind of look like there's, like, cloth there. So maybe she, like, found a bit and just kind of wrapped the wound for now, and that's why we can't see it. But, uh, not made very clear. I can't really tell specifically what's going on down there. But point is, she's fine for the moment. Not doing great, as Zeus points out, but able to stand and knock down Usopp. Yeah, she's still doing what she does best. Indeed. Nami takes a swing with her climate attack. It expands into a, a mace, pretty much. Uh, spike ball Zeus pops out, slams Ulti in the side of the head. Nami didn't expect this to happen, so Nami's plan was to just smack her in the side of the head with the blunt pole and hope for the best, I guess. But, uh... Zeus points out, hey, just keep doing what you do, and I will just be generally useful like I am right now. Then he makes the observation that uh, she's really tough still, very sturdy body on this ulti, um, but she's all mushy on the inside from getting lasered like two chapters prior. So uh, one good lightning blast should put her down for good. I think she was probably mushy on the inside already, but yeah, point taken. <laughs> Much more mushy now that she's had a laser shot through her. That's just how it works, Jordan. Ask Zeus, he'll tell you. <laughs> uh, Nami is reluctant, though, because uh, she is holding Otama by the throat right now. 
And a, a lightning blast of that size would blast her too. That's no good. Can't kill little girls. But uh, I believe they call him Clutchman Usopp. Shoots a big old seaweed move to separate the two of them. How nice. At least he's useful in small ways in this arc. Yeah, he's playing his support role pretty well, which has been kind of lacking lately, and it's nice to see a return of it. Agreed. Um, I'll have more to say about Usopp in a little bit, but let's give Nami her moment to shine first, I suppose. So what she does is she sends out a weather egg, which apparently just kind of allows Zeus to reclaim his cloud form because everything within the climatat is him now, I suppose. Yeah. Um, he says, yo, technically I'm not Zeus anymore. Go ahead and give me a new name. Uh, <laughs> she does so. But then he's like, all right, that's not cool enough for me. We'll just we'll just stick with Zeus <laughs> for the time yeah, being. Yeah, <laughs> how ready Nami was is just great. Also, the fact that Zeus refers to himself as the mighty Zeus after that, he's like, oh god, gotta gotta step it up a notch even further. <laughs> Indeed, don't want to be downgraded to fluff, so we have to kind of overcompensate and go one step beyond Zeus mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to uh, keep the cool factor going. I wish that um, Robin would have been here because there definitely would have been a panel of her like covering her mouth and just thinking, fluff, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Fortunately, she's busy taking on a disgusting spider lady at the moment, so maybe one day she'll get like the... I'm sure somebody's recording this with like an iPhone or something, so no doubt she'll she'll see the footage later and we'll have that reaction. Yeah, Bao Huang definitely exports MP4s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, she shoots out a lightning blast. Uh, I was a little bit confused about this at first. I'm like, lightning blast? Isn't this move usually called the the lightning tempo or something? But I was actually watching the new episode of the anime last night. And uh, apparently, since she has like become a, a Kunoichi, right, she's been doing different attack names. It's been like Ninpo, Lightning Blast, as opposed to uh, uh, the Lightning Tempo <laughs> that it once was. That's fun. Yeah. It's fun to see her embracing her role as a, a ninja. Yeah. How nice. She she picked it up real quick, and she's trying out new things. It's, uh, it's a very Nami thing to do, I think. Quite so. Unfortunately for her, she missed again. Nuts. She took a lesson from Krillin, though, and learned how to curve her Kamehameha to great <laughs> effect. Indeed. Unlike Krillin, though, she couldn't do it herself. She had to get a sentient uh, rod slash cloud <laughs> to <laughs> help her out with that. But uh, it works out great. Zeus redirects the lightning and blasts straight through her. She's not looking good. Poor ulti. Yeah, I would say that that basically encompasses all of her. <laughs> uh, agreed. It is rough to be she. But according to uh, Bao Huang on the following page, she has indeed gone down. And then she goes on to say that two of the Toby Ropo are out of the fight. Pretty much confirming, to me at least, that page down, or <laughs> that page one is down for the remainder of the arc oh boy yeah she says first page one now her so feels about as confirmed as can be i found this nami versus ulti conclusion to be pretty cool um but retroactively i think it makes the 
I'm brought to even call it like a fight. It's more like a series of small skirmishes. <laughs> I found like the fight, I guess, a little bit disappointing as a whole. <laughs> uh, you mean because Big Mom helped so much and it like was disjointed and all that? It is in part those two things, yes. Um, I think it's kind of a bummer that she had to get a massive assist from Big Mom, softening her up a couple chapters ago. Even more of an assist if you count Zeus as like a part of Big Mom still, which, you know, kind of still counts. Um, and it was broken up very strangely. Uh, but Nami fights usually involve, like, strategy, you know? And this one really didn't, aside from gotta figure out how to hit harder. And oops, I missed, right? Anything that could be argued to be strategy was Zeus at this point. Right. And I at first thought it was kind of cool how they set it up as a thing earlier where Nami misses Ulti with Tornado Tempo. And then she misses again here, but now she has Zeus to help her make her attacks hit, right? Mm -hmm. But hitting a target hasn't historically been an issue for Nami prior to this fight. So it kind of seems like it's been manufactured at the last second here to make this whole thing with Zeus feel like it's correcting a problem that didn't previously exist. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Interesting. I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, and I have no idea where I land on this because this is the first I've thought of it. But just to maybe play a little bit of Devil's Advocate, uh, she is also fighting people that are way stronger than anyone that she's ever faced before so people are going to be able to dodge more effectively at that level they're going to be able to tank hits more any number of things you know uh, i suppose that's true but i guess if that's going to be the case it should have been brought up that this is going to be a recurring issue going forward in you know just fighting at higher levels i guess just make it a bit more clear in the text that uh this is a larger issue that is going to be addressed by this Zeus situation. But I do like that Nami's getting a buff. Uh, it's just a shame that it had to kind of come at the cost of like all the fun stuff we liked about previous Nami fights. That's all. I, right, I hear you. This makes me hopeful that we will get back to those fights. Like, now that she has more ways to adapt and she can actually put up a fight again. Like she'll be able to pull out the tactics more, maybe. I guess she could also just be stronger and not need that, which would suck, yeah. Uh, indeed. She just... Nami's always, ever since she's gotten the climb attack, has always been a pretty <laughs> hardcore glass cannon-type character. And this just makes that like imbalance of offense versus defense uh, a little bit more prominent now that she's got Zeus. Um I'd like to think that maybe the strategic fight role is going to be picked up by Usopp, but if uh, page one is indeed down for the count permanently, doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. I'm not sure who else Usopp would get a 1v1 with, if not page one, now that he's uh, been put in the ground. Well, maybe Usopp does more of a overall support role. You know, there's a lot of fights still going on. I don't know how he could move quickly but he could definitely end up in the area of another fight and provide support once again uh that's true 
I'd be cool with that happening, but I think it's a bummer that it seemed like they were setting up a page one versus Usopp, 1v1, and then it just kind of didn't occur. Agreed. Um, but pour one out for our boy page one for just being the punching bag for this entire arc ever since Wano began, pretty much. Someone had to be. Finessed by Sanji, finessed by Luffy, one shot by Bid Mom. At least Ulti got up again after a specially named laser move. Page one got one shot by just like a, a hockey punch. Granted, Contra's hockey punch, it looked like. But, uh, you know, embarrassing. Didn't he also get... He he was punched into the floor, right? Like, it was a heck of a punch. I agree that it, it sucks that it was a one-hit wonder. But, I mean, we've seen... Well, what have we seen queen survive he got tossed right he wasn't or was he punched as well i think he was punched and then he was spun around and thrown okay so i guess that well we don't know if it was a conqueror's hockey punch but i would assume probably so that does show us the difference there but you would think that just like unnamed punch hot conqueror's hockey or no would be less effective as an attack as like a special triple homie combo laser right and ulti got up after that right but we were shown that that like grazed her or whatever and got her insides true page one i think was it didn't it look like his neck was basically broken in half like folded over uh i don't remember specifically but something like that i think yeah yeah so i i am willing to accept a conqueror's hockey punch to a long, unstable neck would result in death. That's fine. <laughs> Poor guy. We'll see. Maybe Bao Wang is wrong. Kind of seems like voice of God <laughs> happening right now. But, uh, you know, maybe she's just mistaken. Could be. Could be. She She is a character, so she is fallible. Quite so. Uh, speaking of being fallible, she also goofs up real hardcore here. Apparently, she accidentally activated her uh, her loudspeaker abilities and told everybody everywhere that <laughs> two of the Toby Ropo have gone down. Nuts. Yeah, talk about morale shifts. Indeed. We don't know this for sure, but just based on like how young they appear to be compared to the other Toby Ropo... And like how they interacted with the other ones, it kind of seems like Ulti and Page One were perhaps the weakest of the group. We won't know like how much of a power disparity there is here. And again, I'm just assuming that to be true, but uh, we'll see how uh, the other fights go if that turns out to be true. That's how I took it. Like that is that is definitely how it reads, no doubt. It just doesn't seem like it would be like much of a issue for Jinbei to be able to take out who's who if like well at the same time they also got mushed up by big mom before right. this but i don't know <laughs> it's hard to gauge how powerful somebody is when they are taking hits from one of the most powerful people in the series <laughs> before they're taken down uh so yeah, i guess uh we'll have to wait and see how those other fights go before that though usa champion of the hour takes out Bao Huang using his devil pop green operation, giving Otama an opportunity to speak into the speaker and take control of the gifters. How nice. 
Yeah, we see my boy Beppo for just a moment, and it is enough to propel me for the next two weeks before the next chapter comes out. <laughs> if you want to see some hot Beppo action, you should watch the anime episode that came out just last night. It's not much, but he does get a little bit of a shine along with the other two like key members of Law's crew. It's nice. That's worth it. All right. It also looks way better than it has any right to look, considering it's like 90% filler, basically. But, uh, you know, these things happen somehow, I guess. <laughs> they just decided to show off for a little bit, huh? I guess so. They just added, like, a little bit of flavor to the on-the-sea battle before they actually arrive at Onigashima, and they just blew it out of the water for this. I don't know. I don't know what was going on. We can discuss that another time, though. We're back on the roof. Here we are. Yamato versus Kaido. Get some lore drops here. Hardcore stuff. So, yeah, back on the roof. Yamato, well, Yamato, Odin, I think they both still count, um, is standing up to his father. It's a nice little little standoff here. Uh, I do want to see these clubs clash. I do too. Perhaps we might even, at the end of the chapter here, uh, we get a little bit of conflict from a distance, a fair distance. Um, but maybe we'll actually see enough of this fight to satisfy that craving of yours. Yeah. I wouldn't count on it, but uh, I would like to. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me that Kaido immediately jumped into his hybrid form. He is not messing around. Uh, indeed. I mean, his full-on dragon form has only served to, like, get him thrashed, historically speaking, in uh, the conflicts that have taken place on the roof. So, don't really blame him. And also, Yamato says here that, like, his goal is to stall Kaido until Luffy comes back. So, gotta go all out so that Yamato doesn't get his way, I guess, kids these days. Yeah, we have to see Yamato go full out as well, right? Like... Is it going to end up being a combo on Kaido? Do you think Yamato will survive long enough to be able to help Luffy? Um, I would like to see that. I think it'll ultimately come down to Luffy versus Kaido one-on-one -on -one in the end. But I would love to see, uh, for a little while at least, Yamato and Luffy against Kaido. That'd be dope. Yamato needs to express this desire to go out to sea with Luffy to Luffy, right? So he at least needs to survive through to that. Uh, and by survive, I mean stay conscious, of course. Sure. Now, in regards to that specifically, I think almost the first thing Yamato said to Luffy after like taking off the mask was let me go out to sea with you. So I think Luffy's already got it in his brain that this is Yamato's intent. Um, That's true. But we gotta, gotta see like a more, a more formal request at some point. If it is indeed the intent of Oda to make Yamato a full-fledged crew member, as it appears to be basically confirmed here? Is that what we think now? <laughs> Unless Yamato is doing exactly what Odin did where like you're not exactly a part of the crew but you're going with them just to learn and get experience and whatnot uh, sure more of a temporary operation 
Yeah. Right. I can see that. That would make sense if Odin is following Odin's will, you know? True. Yeah. Definitely some, uh, very clear cut parallels are going on here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he says that he can only go out to sea with Luffy after Kaido's been booted out of Wano. But Kaido doesn't want to go. Apparently, he's here in Wano for a specific reason. Uh, what do you think is up with that? What's uh, Kaido's sticking point here with Wano country? I don't exactly know what he's referring to. Uh, unless there's something special about the land itself that we just don't know about i don't know maybe Hmm. the direct utility that kaido is getting from wano after partnering with orochi is that it's like his weapon factories pretty much right it's serving as a home base he's getting weapons out of the deal but he can do that anywhere pretty much doesn't have to be specifically wano for that stuff granted he's now kind of rooted here so it'll be kind of a pain in the butt that start from scratch somewhere else um but the only thing i can think of that is specific to wano that kaido would want to be here for is that this is supposedly the birthplace of the poneglyphs pretty much the kozuki clan are the ones that carve them as i recall I don't know how that helps him unless he's just like after the knowledge that is on them, right? Maybe he thinks they'll, well, he already knows about the the road pony glyphs, of course. Um, But maybe he's after something beyond just like knowing where the one piece is (laughs) pretty much. But how is just being in Wano helpful in that regard? Well, maybe the secret of how they like carve the poneglyphs or how to read them or whatever is somewhere in Wano. I don't know where it would be that uh, he couldn't have already searched in the like 20 years he's been here, but yeah, that's what I'm stuck up on. But aside from that, I can't think of anything else. I mean, also Odin's journal is here and we already know that that specific Intel about laugh tale, but that wasn't the case when Kaido got here. So I don't, aside from maybe the pond lift thing, I can't think of anything. Cherry blossoms. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what it is. According to Here to Luke, they're a miracle cure. So there it is. You know, that's the secret to his immortality. There you go. We, we cracked the code. Nice try, Oda. Yeah, can't get anything by us. I think it's also very likely that there is something that's been told to us in the story that we have just forgotten about. Um... <laughs> But I'm sure someone will point that out to us in the comments if that turns out to be true. Uh, like you said, Yamato is just here to hold off Kaido for the time being. Yamato isn't going to go easy on him, though. And they clash. And what appears to be like a Conqueror's hockey-infused clash, based on like the lightning bolts and like how the clouds are being pushed. I was not entirely sure if the clouds are actually being pushed or if those are just other swirly clouds like we have seen around Onigashima in the past, but I think I landed on that and being pushed away. Uh, that's the way I took it. I mean, this certainly isn't hard confirmation that Yamato has Conqueror's Hockey, but 
the combination of the lightning, the clouds that, like you said, could just be coincidence. Um, but also it just kind of made sense that Yamato would have Conqueror's Haki being son of Kaido and all. I think those three things together uh, make me at least err on the side of, yes, Conqueror's Haki for Yamato. Yeah, uh, oof. this is going to be so interesting if Yamato does end up joining the crew. Like, between that and Jinbei being on the crew, like, there, there's no monster trio anymore. There's, like, Luffy and then the <laughs> Fighting Four. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that name for now. Uh, no doubt someone else has already thought of a better name, but uh, I prefer yours. Uh, yeah, I mean, if Yamato joins... I mean, people are already debating between who's stronger between Jinbei and Sanji and probably will continue to forever, I would imagine. Uh, throwing Yamato into the mix here does muddy the waters a little bit further, but uh, we need strong boys, I guess. Right, and we're, we're definitely still not sure how strong Yamato is, but if, if it's assumed that he still hasn't transformed, if he, like, does and gets stronger when he does like he's already holding off kaido in theory in this hit if it's a clash like true that's that's a lot of beef quite so but at the same time just being well i was gonna say just being weaker than kaido isn't much of a bar but being able to at least hold back at least one attack from kaido is you know, pretty impressive. Right. That's about what Zoro did when he was on the roof. Uh, I thought Zoro died doing it. I thought Zoro <laughs> tanked a, a combo attack from Big Mom and Kaido. Well, sure, that did happen, but you call it tanking when he ate that hit and then went down. He's still alive. Didn't die from the hit. <laughs> True. And conscious at times. <laughs> <laughs> on occasion, just to make a snide remark to Sanji. Uh, but yeah, That's, so would that make Yamato stronger than Zoro then? That's what I'm saying. Like it, it certainly could end up that way, especially with the <laughs> Devil Fruit transformation factor in. Zoro fans are not going to take that well. No, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk about before we end the already pretty lengthy uh, chapter discussion mm -hmm. is in regards to the other straw hats potentially getting beefed up in some capacity during their Wano fights. Cause we've already seen it happen with Zoro. He got Enma, right? Uh, Sanji has the raid suit. He hasn't used it in a real serious conflict yet, but he's got that in his pocket. And now Nami, one of the lower tier combat members have gotten a massive buff from Zeus. Chopper also got his boosted monster point. Yeah, that's true as well. Got 30 minutes of that sucker now. So that leaves Frankie, Usopp, Robin, Brooke. Brooke. Do you think that they may be uh, significantly buffed during their fights too? So for Robin, I don't... I don't know how you buff Robin without her awakening her devil fruit, right? Like, 
unless she can just keep putting out more and more pieces of herself, because I think that was a big upgrade that she got in the past, but there, you can only take that so far with A, it being interesting, and B, it being meaningful, right? I guess she could get hockey. If she had armament hockey, she would be crazy powerful. Or observation hockey to a certain degree. Uh, yeah, that would increase her spatial awareness to be like expand the range that she could sprout her body parts from. She could like do it in different rooms or something. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, she wouldn't need to put eyeballs and ears places to do espionage stuff or like to see where her hands were going. Sure. I'm not sure what awakening would look like with Robin though, because we've only seen two. Paramecia users awaken previously, and they've all had the ability to like turn their surroundings into whatever they have control over with the strains of Doflamingo and uh, the Moshi with Katakuri. So that would make me think that Robin's awakening will be the ability to turn her surroundings into her body parts. <laughs> But is that really that different from just sprouting body parts no, in those locations? No, it's not. <laughs> like, it, that's, yeah, I'm worried for Robin. Indeed. This is why Oda doesn't use her in fights very often, because it's hard to figure out ways to make her progress, I guess. Yeah, she's been crazy powerful from the start, so yeah. Um, as for the others, uh, Usopp, Brooke, Frankie, um... Frankie could very easily pull out a new weapon, right? Or maybe Frankie at some point salvages something from Queen and takes it as his own. Um, That'd be cool. I'm not sure how they would do that in combat, but it doesn't necessarily have to be during the fight. Right. Uh, oh, we left out um, Jimbei. Jimbei's kind of a strange case, because Jimbei's such a fresh face to the crew. Yeah doesn't really seem like we've seen like the maximum of what he can do yet that's true so in Jimbei's case i think just like a heated battle where he has to push himself to the mats is perfectly fine for Jimbei. Right. uh usopp and brooke i don't know you got any ideas there the only thing i can think of for usopp is like actually progressing that hockey thing that he unlocked like 300 chapters ago and nothing <laughs> has been brought up about it since um but in Usopp's case the only time he used the hockey was to drastically increase his like sight range pretty much and also see through that wall and that specific application doesn't seem like it would be all that useful in like a 1v1 so maybe that helps him in like what you were talking about before like a support role helping somebody else sniping from a great distance like if he i don't know he's on the live floor maybe he like gets a hold of some queen tech and like shoots it like through a crack in the roof to frankie or sure, something sure i don't know something cool like that um that's my only guess for him let's spend on that observation hockey that we already know that he has mm -hmm. as for brooke i don't know <laughs> i mean brooke doesn't fight all that much either um and he's currently in a team with Robin, but Robin appears to be taking, like, point on this fight. Last we saw it, at least. So, uh, don't know. Don't know what's going to happen with our Skelly man. No, but I 
I'm excited, because you're right. If everyone else is already trending that way, it would make sense that everyone gets a boost. But we'll see. We'll see. In two weeks, maybe. I sure hope so. Uh, we do have a break next week. Next chapter comes out on June 27th. And I believe that takes us into the reread. <laughs> Yeah, we're going straight through to the end of Alabasta. We start with Luffy's very good aim, where he catches the water in his mouth to unmummify himself. How lucky. Yeah. But I think what's almost more impressive than his aim is the fact that he regains his form, right? And he immediately says, oh, I saw a crocodile go that way. So <laughs> Luffy, while mummified, while completely dehydrated, and while falling a fair distance, still had the wherewithal to spot Crocodile disapparate in a certain direction. Uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive, especially since we see on the page, I believe, that he like flipped face down for at least a little bit of that fall. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know, just Luffy's just got a, that good, good vision. Yeah, it's a heck of a speed. Despite not having fluid in his eyes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, oh, yeah. God, we get so many just iconic things in this chunk of chapters. Um, the first one that I took note of was Sanji's thinking power slide pose. <laughs> like, for some, I don't know if that's just me, but that frame... It stands out in my head so much because it's it's not only ridiculous for Sanji's character like it's just ridiculous overall and I love it uh yeah I like that panel a lot I don't remember specifically if he ever does it again but uh I sure do hope he it does. Just, maybe but <laughs> it's very silly but like crab slide just is so good I'll always I'll always remember that one and it looks so silly you wouldn't think that Sanji would want anyone to see him do it right time was of the essence i get it but he's usually so composed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh right while cobra and croc and robin are like in the secret hatch and they're looking at the poneglyph croc actually reveals that it was robin that approached him about the poneglyphs which makes sense right I, i don't know how crocodile would know about her but uh, I, I was kind of surprised that she was the one that reached out to him. It seems like an odd move. The only thing that I can think of that might be strange there is why would Robin go to Crocodile assuming that he knew anything about the Poneglyphs or had intent to use them for something? Right. You know, like what would have... Like, sparked Robin into approaching Crocodile about that in the first place. Yeah. Like, maybe she did some digging in the Baroque works and, like, kind of figured out of her own accord that that was the case. But, uh, never addressed. Could be. Yeah. (laughs) She probably knew that, uh, there was some Poneglyph in Alabasta. And maybe she just knew that that was Crocodile's goal. So, um, I'll allow it. So, 
as they're searching for the giant bomb, Usopp does, like, a flare move to get everyone's attention because Vivi has figured out where the bomb is. Uh, and this flare move, which is used only to tell people where you are, uh, he calls a lethal weapon, which is just perfect Usopp energy. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. To Usopp, anything that comes out of his slingshot can be used to murder something, because that's just how impressive he is. Right, yeah, he murdered the air molecules on the way up to the sky. Uh, exactly. And then he murdered everybody's ears. I love that that immediately backfires on them, and it's just like uh, the bad guys found the note and went towards them. Um, Indeed. Should have considered that, but, you know, like you said, time was of the essence. Wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to consider uh the negative outcomes yeah but what they had to do taking the time to write a note would also take time uh true but i believe it literally had like two words on it i think it just said clock tower. oh did it i didn't so, even know if we saw the note but i don't think we saw it but i think sanji says it when we see him in the tower ah. a little bit later okay okay that's fine then um boom, 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 boom. After Luffy has sort of made his way into town and figures where Crocodile is, um, he's had the realization that he can use blood, and it works very well. And the first hit on Crocodile's face feels kind of like the original Celestial Dragon Punch, like just the, the impact and the angle and the, the fact that... Uh, well, Crocodile wasn't necessarily taken by surprise by it but uh it's still i don't know you know what i mean though uh yeah definitely uh a similar similar sort of punch um i think you're right in that crocodile you know he saw the punch coming but he definitely wasn't expecting it to actually make contact with his face on account of luffy not having water he had um, already been kicked at that point and he does say wait uh, oh. on the panel right before he's hit. So I think he was expecting it to make contact. Oh, we're talking about that one. Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, so like he knew he was screwed and he still said wait, uh, which doesn't feel very <laughs> crocodile. But uh, yeah, just felt very reminiscent of one of the, one of the best punches in the series, really. Indeed, very cathartic. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Usopp and the gang. Uh, I bring up Usopp because I'm surprised that he didn't think about the clock tower as a location for the bomb. Like, I get that it means more coming from Vivi because she's the one who's putting together the plan that saves the town, makes her more central, but still, like, he is the marksman. He should have thought of that. Uh, I agree but only to the extent that it is a high-up central location. I don't know if Usopp is, like, an expert on, like, how the inner mechanisms of cloth towers work <laughs> to know that there was, like, a big enough empty space in there to house a cannon of the size that they're assuming it has to be. Um, but that's the, the only benefit of the doubt I can give the guy. <laughs> Other than that, you're right. He should have thought of that. Yeah, I guess that's fair he's also lost a lot of blood today so he's <laughs> not exactly working at 100 percent brain faculty all right we'll cut him some slack <laughs> indeed he had his skull cracked like 10 minutes prior it's rough being usa 
It is. Well, he's got uh, later, what does he say? He's got the, if I take one more step, I'll die disease. It's rough, man. You and me both, buddy. I have that one a lot. Uh, so, Crocodile shows off his poison hook, and, you know, he's like, we're pirates, so we have tricks. Uh, <laughs> which is cute. That's that's a nice little, little thing. Uh, he misses Luffy once, and we see that this poison is strong enough to melt rock. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> more of an acid at that point I yeah think, but... luffy takes a fair number of slashes from this thing so all the more impressive on his part but uh the real thing to talk about when we're talking about impressive things here is just the fight choreography between luffy and crocodile like luffy keeps pulling off these extremely acrobatic moves against him where he's you know contorting his body and flipping his foot around to crocodile's head to push him down to the ground and swinging around like it's it's very satisfying in that regard but crocodile is still getting his own hits in enough that like they both feel confident in this moment which leads to some great banter like this is a this is a phenomenal fight uh agreed in terms of just like like you said the choreography i've marked this one as like one of the highest ones in the series a specific bit that comes to mind is where like Luffy's throwing a punch. I think it's the gum gum bullet or one of his like more standard punches. And then he stops the punch short, retracts his body <laughs> back to his own hand, which throws Crocodile off guard and he gets a couple hits in there, I think. And it's just a lot of fun uses of Luffy as a rubber man that we don't see so much in more modern uh hockey based fights right you know? yeah that's that's true um yeah it's just it's a really satisfying fight good times indeed i like it a lot let's see oh well yeah we don't get much of mr seven and miss father's day but <laughs> I, they're very sad characters because they don't sad they don't realize how expendable they are to crocodile like mm. they say, you know, we're going to we're going to blow up the square and then we're definitely going to get a promotion and the reader is just sitting here like, "Oh, you're no, you're you're going to die if that happens." Yeah, that's not a not great for them. No. They just <laughs> they don't have the perception to figure it out. Um plus even if by some miracle they did survive, right? Crocodile was just going to throw him aside anyway. I mean, Baroque Works was just like a big fraud of an organization to prop Crocodile into a place of power. Right. I mean, no one was going to get like seats of power in his empire that he was building, especially not those two. <laughs> I can understand them not realizing that, you know, that's just that's that's Crocodile duping people as he does classic him yeah uh also their combo is neat like they both shoot bullets and they collide in the air to explode and we only see it maybe two or three times like they're mm -hmm. they're sad characters man it's rough being a dice guy and fraud lady yeah yeah so this arc is definitely like i see more and more or saw more and more as i was reading through it like 
why you put this one so highly. Uh, and I feel like I should have put it higher because uh, all of the side characters that I love are all in this arc and they just do so well. Like Smoker and Tashigi just with their uh, aiding the Straw Hats and defending their honor at the end when who defeated Crocodile is being discussed. Like, that's fantastic. I love a bad guy that's not a full bad guy. Um, I do think this is a great moment of growth for Tashiki specifically. Uh, less so for Smoker. Um, but I think the point on Smoker's part was to kind of force Tashiki into having this realization where she had because of this situation with Luffy and Crocodile, she kind of has to reconsider her idea of justice and what the role the Marines are. Because she had to help a pirate, someone that she's supposed to capture, to stop a world government ally who's gone rogue um, because she was too weak to do anything about it herself, right? Yeah. And then later, Smoker gets his cool guy moment saying, oh, if it bothers you, easy fix. All you got to do is get stronger, right? <laughs> and she takes that to heart and that's time we see her she has gotten stronger and that's all pretty dope um but then like you said good boy smoker uh refused to take credit for crocodile's defeat directly defying the orders of the world government in the process and uh probably getting himself into a fair bit of heat <laughs> in doing so turns out fine for him but uh certainly doesn't put him in their good graces that man lives in the heat dude like he is... Because he's smoke. Ah, I get it now. Uh -huh. <laughs> but he's he's on no one's side. He's just doing his own thing, and it's awesome. Yep, I agree. One of them anti-hero types. Yep. Well, he kind of... Well, anti-villain? I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> We're making it up. Quite. Uh, so, uh, another side character that does pretty well here in the, like, closing of the arc is Cobra actually like his, his thank you speech to at least to the men of the crew where he throws out the line, a King is not a King when disrobed is it's so humbling. It's very honest. It's heartfelt. Uh, and for all of his flaws, he's a pretty cool guy. It turns out. I do like Cobra a lot. And I specifically like that speech in the bath that you're talking about a lot but it always takes me out of it just a little bit when you consider that like five seconds prior to giving that speech he was peeping into the women's bath where his own daughter was bathing yeah so that's a little weird cobra yep. but uh speech was cool yep yep <laughs> there are a few things like that that i have chosen to kind of overlook in this uh there's <laughs> that and then he kind of does the same thing when or well Agram does the same thing when Vivi's, like, getting dressed for the speech, but then Cobra appears with the same injury, implying he had done the same. Um, <laughs> but there's, yeah, there's that, and then I think they say that Vivi's coming-of-age speech was supposed to have happened when she was 14, and I'm just like, oh my god. Oh, thank goodness she was two years late. Like, that makes it a little bit more reasonable. <laughs> Indeed. No one is a full-grown adult at 14. Like, that is just... Ugh. Things don't work quite the same in the good old kingdom of Alabasta, I guess. Yeah, they got, they got quicker lifespans, I guess. <laughs> in this final moment where the crew needs to get away and they're being surrounded, 
Like, Bonchan not only still maintain his humor when at first he's like, ah, oh, screw that, this is this is dumb. And then they're like, this is for a friend. And he just goes, like... <gasps> for friendship. <laughs> yeah, on the, the drop of a hat. Like, it's it's so good. But then he also just immediately throws his life and the life of his crew at Hina in order to save these people that he just met. Like, he has he has taken a full slice of, of the straw hat pie, and he liked it. Uh, agreed. His sacrifice here definitely solidifies him as a top-tier candidate for best boy, but specifically what you said just now about how he threw himself and the lives of his crew pretty much away to help Luffy and Co. that he just met. Uh, I think that like goes even further beyond in terms of best boyness than what you stated, because he's practicing what he preaches too. Because when he first showed up way back in between Little Garden and Alabasta, he says before he leaves, "Don't worry, guys. The time that you're together doesn't impact anything in a friendship. Just because we just met." doesn't mean we're any less friends as somebody who met 30 years ago. And then he, like you said, he throws himself away, throws himself to the wolves to help out boys that he just met on that premise alone. Yeah. I like to think that he at least put up a bit of a fight against Hina and her crew, but those iron bars are a lot to deal with. Indeed. She hits you once and you're pretty much done under ordinary circumstances. Hard to gauge how strong Hina is, because it's hard to sell how like powerful she is, but she's got one of those weird abilities that makes her kind of overpowered. Um, I can't remember if she's a vice admiral now or not, if she if that confirms that she is hockey these days. Um, yeah, that, that whole tough-to-place power level thing is similar to that other marine lady who, like, washes people. It's like... Ah, uh, yes, Suru. Yeah. It's like, obviously you're strong, but how strong? Too strong? Maybe. Uh, yeah. In the case of Suru, she is a vice admiral, so she definitely has hockey. And she was also the one that they sent to go take out Do Flamingo before he became a warlord way back in the day. So. Right, she's definitely... Fair confidence. She's got a lot of power, but I feel like Hina could be up there as well. Like... Depending on how many bars she can throw out, that's an, that's an incredible power, especially for a marine. Indeed. And Smoker respects her, so that says to me that she's probably pretty strong too, perhaps roughly on par with him. That's true, and possibly not a terrible person. Indeed. And she's got pink hair, so that's plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sure that's the reason that uh, Smoker respects her. That's my headcanon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vivi definitely inherited her speech-giving skills from Cobra, because the one that she gave to the Straw Hats in the kingdom was a doozy. Uh, Indeed. It'll serve her well when she ends up leading someday. No matter if I'm watching the anime version of this or reading it in the manga, as I found out doing this reread, no matter what, I always tear up just a little bit right where it says... If we meet again, will you still call me your shipmate? Not even exaggerating. I'm not afraid to admit that I, I teared up a few times in this reread. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's good stuff. It's all... Like, uh, yeah, that, that specifically, but then also when they all just raise their left arm, like, 
Mm. That solidarity, so good. Indeed. And they established chapters ago that they've got the X. They kind of slip it in at the end here that they called that the symbol of their friendship. But then, yeah, the reason they can't just do a normal goodbye is because the Marines are there, but they've got an unspoken bond symbolized by this X that they've crafted. And by showing that off, that's their goodbye. Feels good. It's very well done. <laughs> Uh, what is slightly less well done is uh, Pell's survival. <laughs> yeah, still trying to come to terms with that, even now. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand how we're expected to just accept that. It especially bothers me because they spent like four pages on his like farewell speech slash flashback. And, like, that entire bomb operation was, like, almost an entire chapter, mm -hmm. like, building up to, like, a dramatic death for Pell. And then not only did he survive, he survived for no real reason. <laughs> like there's, Pell hasn't popped up again. In, well, he's been, like, around during the reverie, but I don't think he's said anything <laughs> or been relevant in any way aside from just, like, escorting Vivi. Uh, and also, how did he get... To that like little desert hospital did he get blasted like miles and miles in the explosion how did any of this happen thomas yeah i'm just saying i've got some questions about the logistics of how this happened pal gonna need you to fly down here and uh get interrogated because uh i'm never gonna let this go <laughs> yeah robin gets her kick-ass intro where she kind of just immediately disarms everyone and says i'm here i'm a part of your crew deal with it <laughs> yeah what are you gonna do kill me try it punks and uh they're not interested in doing that anyway so it works out pretty well for her i don't think anyone there could except for like zoro and i don't know if luffy could take her out but i don't think she could take luffy out either robin had the advantage here in that he probably doesn't have a firm grasp of what she can do, so it'll probably be fairly easy for her to catch him off guard and just toss him into the sea, and then done deal. Oh, I didn't think about the sea approach. I was just Indeed. thinking of her usual, like, back-breaking moves, and I, that, that wouldn't do anything to our boy. Indeed. Got bones made of rubber. Zor, well... Zoro wouldn't necessarily be incapacitated by the sea operation, but he would be vulnerable to just being snapped in twain if she used enough arms <laughs> to make it happen. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's just just Luffy, and that's only if he didn't get surprised. So yeah, indeed, she's, she's here, and she's the best, and that's the end of my notes. <laughs> Understood. Uh, I only had, I think, one, maybe two things that I wanted to touch on. Um, I do, I think I like that it is addressed in this, like, post-crocodile defeat operation that Zoro cannot draw upon the mystery power that he developed. We believe it to be hockey, uh, just at will now, because that... Mm -hmm. It sucks that it kind of like depowers Zoro immediately. I mean, he even says, if I can't draw it out at will, um, that means that I'm not really any stronger. And that's true. But it also means that it made sense that when he's slashing uh, 
Enaru later on. Like, that's dark, of course. Uh, that he's not dealing damage. So, for continuity's sake, please that's true. Uh, unfortunate for Zoro that he didn't get, like, a full-fledged buff here. Bummer. Yeah, but he barely needed it. Like, he needed it for this one specific opponent, but if he would have been against anyone else, he would have been fine as is. Uh, true. Yep, pretty much any of the other non-crocodile Baroque Wars members wouldn't have had much of a chance. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other thing I thought was fascinating uh, is that Luffy's bounty at the conclusion of this arc went up to 100 million berries, which is already high enough, right at the beginning of the Grand Line pretty much, for him to be considered a supernova. So that's pretty bonkers. <laughs> and it only goes up from there. Yeah, I was surprised that it broke the, uh, what, nine-digit mark? Uh, yes. Yeah, very impressive. Good job. Indeed. And Zoro's is also up there. In... Yep. A whopping 60 million. Pretty Very thin. impressive. Double Luffy starting bounty. Mm. Mm. Well done. Uh, and... Claps all around. Real quick, before we wrap up, usually we do a lot of things where it's just, like, talking about the funny bits, but there were way too many in these, like, 16 chapters. Uh, so I'm going to throw out some of the ones that really just did it for me. And it's going to be a rapid fire thing. Cause this has already been incredibly long. Uh, bam, here we go. Yeah. So we've got the crocodile-ish hole that Luffy points out. That's great. <laughs> we've got Zoro confusing North with up. We've got <laughs> Usopp getting hit in the nuts with the cyclone tempo. Uh, we've got Sanji ignoring the walls he busted through when people are looking at the damage of the city. Uh, we've got eyelashes just suddenly appearing at the banquet at the end and everyone just being like, oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> Sanji immediately hanging up on Banchan when he calls the Denden Mushi. Uh, and Luffy trying to insult Zoro with first three sword style and then amending it to four sword style. Indeed, a real upgrade. Two quick ones that I would like to mention is uh, Chaka claiming that the Straw Hats weren't there <laughs> while Sanji and Usopp are walking by past the Marines and up the stairs at that very moment. Yep, yep. Uh, very good. And uh, I know I said I had a second one. Turns out I was wrong. It was just that one that was uh, on my list that you didn't have. So Perfect. Well done, everybody. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, there will be a break next week. Uh, I don't think we have any, like, hard plans for that yet. Um, so. But if any develop, they'll be on the Twitter page, which is, again, at inherited underscore will on Twitter. So, uh, keep your eyes peeled on there if you want those sweet, sweet announcements. But until then, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. So long.